you think about this coming year, are you excited? Are you excited about the coming year? Are you, uh, are you in the camp that uh, is saying, bring it on? Or are you bracing yourself, saying, I just hope it wasn't like last year? Now, perhaps some of you had a really fantastic year, like my son and new daughter-in-law that are with us this morning, Calvin Manny, who uh, Calvin, Calvin went from graduating to NCU to uh, going to the real school uh, on July 8th and getting married. And uh, so uh, it, it's been a great year for them, for sure. And there were some fun moments this past year, but I have to admit that once again, as I got to New Year's Eve and was watching Rocking Eve, and as the ball was falling down in Times Square, I found myself once again kind of shaking the dust off my feet a little bit on the past year, saying, surely the year to come is going to be better. If you're thinking to yourself that there is a giant of the faith that is standing in front of you this morning, then you would be incorrect. Yet, even though our faith has been greatly shaken this past year, and really the past couple of years for us, we remain intent on following, on following Jesus, and we remain hopeful. You hear the, you hear the line over and over again, and I've said it over and over again, the best is yet to come, and we still believe that. And I imagine you do as well. Despite, though, what we might see on a day-in and day-out basis, right? On a day-in and day-out basis, again, maybe you're in the camp where you shook the dust off your feet. Surely it's going to be better this year, right? The best is yet to come, and we hold on to that hope. So I pray, pray that your intent is on following Jesus with all your heart again this year, and that your belief remains intact, despite what you sometimes see, that the best is truly yet to come. So, as scriptures say in Hebrews 10, let's continue to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and let's not give up meeting together in the coming year. Deal? Deal. All right, towards that end, I have a spurring question to help us get the ball rolling in 2018, and it's going to appear magically on the screen. And the question is, what is the entry to and standard of the kingdom of God according to Jesus? How do we enter the kingdom? What should we be like? Or, another way to say, what is the number one quality that we should be pursuing in the new year? And the number one quality, according to Jesus, that we should be pursuing to, in the words of Buzz, to infinity and beyond. Any ideas? As you think about your New Year's resolutions, as you think about the lists that are in Scripture of, of ways that it says we should be like, character qualities and so on, what is the number one, what is the number one quality, according to Jesus, that allows us to both enter into the kingdom and fully experience the kingdom. It's probably not on most lists this morning. The quality is this. The entry to and standard of the kingdom is to be childlike. To be childlike. Not childish, but childlike. 
Jesus said this, Let the children come to me. Don't try to stop them. People who are like these children belong to the kingdom of God. And I promise you that you cannot get into God's kingdom. You cannot get into God's kingdom unless you accept it the way a child does. And he also said, My Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I am grateful that you hid all this from wise and educated people and showed it to little children. Yes, Father, this is what pleased you. So in very educated and uh, educating Eugene, Oregon, let's remember the words of Jesus. This is what pleases him. So this morning, let's talk for a moment about having faith like a child. What does that look like? To have faith like a child. Now, two guys that I walk with on a regular basis, named Steve and Ray and I, started on a journey uh, that's somewhat unusual. Actually, Steve started first on this journey, and Ray and Jay later joined him. It's not exactly an academic pursuit, although it's somewhat like an experiment. Many people would call it childish, and we would call it rather childlike. And hasten to say, there is a big difference. Because in the eyes of Jesus, childlike is the whole idea. So the experiment you ask, simply this. What would my life look like if it was lived like a fifth Some of you might have good memories of fifth grade. Some, maybe not so much. But what would my life look like? Where would I go? What would I do? How would I think? How would I feel? What choices would I make and why? Some of you maybe have a fifth grader or a close enough in your house so you can readily relate to this. But living like a fifth grader is actually the perfect picture of childlike living. You see, a fifth grader is old enough to do things, even to do a lot of things. But he or she isn't old enough to do it all on my own, right? Despite what they might say. They are brave and big stuff during the day, but hide under the covers at night, especially during a storm. They are old enough to earn an allowance, but not to make a mortgage payment. A fifth grader relies on his parents for three primary things. Direction, protection, and provision. Again, even though they hate to admit it. So why is it that the best laid plans of a would-be fifth grade runaway never amount to anything? Did you ever try that? Pack their bologna sandwiches, make themselves a map, recruit their dog to come with them, and make it as far as the first intersection, which for me in Prineville, Oregon, was the intersection of Loper and Lookout. The questions start as soon as they pause. Now what? Just how long are my meager provisions going to last? Where am I really going? What if I get lost? It's starting to get dark. And isn't that Brutus, the neighborhood bully, headed my way? Mom! Right? But isn't this still true when we're all grown up? Do we know really where we're going at any given moment? 
Or do we still need the gentle hand of Jesus to guide us and correct us along the way? Do we honestly still believe we can do it on our own? We're big stuff on the job, but still cower under the covers at night. Or maybe it's just me. We're convinced we got this, and then the storm comes. And what about our allowance? Yes, Lord, what about my allowance? Because I've got a mortgage payment to make, right? Jesus actually led the way in this. In fact, you could say that Jesus was the most childlike person who ever lived. And he wants us, you and me, to live the same way. So let's look at that. If anyone could have been self-reliant, it was Jesus. Yet, he chose to live childlike and was intentionally dependent, intentionally dependent on his father and also on his earthly father and mother. He relied on them for provision, for protection, and for direction intentionally. And we need to look no further than his season of temptation in the wilderness found in Matthew 4. And we'll look at that on the screen. So of the temptations of Jesus, the first temptation was actually provision. Scripture says, The devil came to him and said, If you are God's son, tell these stones to turn into bread. So, is Jesus going to rely on his father for his needs, or is he going to fend for himself? Here's the answer. Jesus answered, The Scriptures say, No one can live only on food. People need every word that God has spoken. So he intentionally relied on his heavenly father at the moment of temptation and need for his provision. Temptation number two, protection. Next, the devil took Jesus into the holy city to the highest part of the temple. The devil said, if you are God's son, jump off. The scriptures say God will give his angels orders about you and they will catch you in their arms and you won't hurt your feet on the stone. This quote is actually from Psalm 91 and it again shows Satan's knowledge of scripture. But mere knowledge isn't enough, obviously. Jesus would affirm God's deliverance and ability to rescue those who are his own. But he expressly rejected this false display of testing God's protection by saying, the scriptures also say, don't try to test the Lord your God. Second temptation, check. Here's number three, and it regards direction. Finally, the devil took Jesus up on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms on earth and their power. And the devil said to him, I will give all of this to you if you will bow down and worship me. Satan is offering Jesus a shortcut, a shortcut to his kingdom, an alternative plan to what his father had in store for him. Why endure the father's plan that includes suffering and rejection and the cross when Satan could give it to him on a silver platter right now? Jesus answered, go away, Satan. The scriptures say, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And I would add, and follow only him. So let me clarify what it is that I'm not saying this morning. I am not advocating a life of irresponsibility. I'm not making a case for perpetual childish immaturity. I'm not calling us to, to never land this morning 
with Peter Pan and uh, a life of just perpetual, wouldn't it be great, right? Just flitting around in childlike, childish, rather, bliss. We're not advocating childish immaturity, not saying we shouldn't learn or grow or mature in our faith, for sure not saying that. I'm not contradicting the teaching of Scripture, which says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. What I am saying is this, we should put away childish thinking, not childlike thinking. We must become more childlike, again, just like Jesus. So what does this all mean for my day-to-day living in the kingdom of God? Simply this, when it comes to provision, I should never lose my sense of daily dependence upon Jehovah Jireh, my provider, and not dependence on myself. The myth that we hear from culture all the time is that we are the ultimately the provider. It's better that my family know this now rather than when they are disappointed later. Either Jesus is our provider or he's not. We're continuing to learn this one the hard way right now, and it is terrifying. In fact, Pastor Tim, in a recent message, called it living life without a safety harness. And as a tall guy who is deathly afraid of heights, that is not necessarily the life that I would want to choose. And he was talking about that guy that was you know, free climbing you know, in Yosemite on Half Dome Rock or whichever one it was. These size 13 shoes were, were meant to stay on the ground. I mean, some people are talking about their bucket. We were talking about bucket lists the other night, and some people were talking about jumping out of airplanes. And yeah, I, I'm just in the camp. Why would you want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Man, I just don't understand. But anyway, as, as one that is scared of heights, I am learning the terrifying lesson that I am not the provider, that Jesus is. And we can rely upon him daily. We can depend upon him daily for our provision. Next, when it comes to direction, I should never lose my daily reliance on the guidance of the good shepherd and not the latest self-help expert. The illusion, again, is that I'm in control, and really nothing could be further from the truth. And I need to figure this out before I become disillusioned. Either Jesus is in control of everything, or he's not. And ultimately, what I need is to spend more time in the his help aisle of the bookstore, not the self-help aisle of the bookstore. Direction. Next, when it comes to protection, I should never lose my daily trust. Again, my daily trust in the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus. The fallacy is I can do it myself. The reality is, I am never in more danger than when I trust myself. And again, I need to figure this out before the next storm surge comes ashore, because it will. Jesus is my Savior, not just once, but every day. But following Jesus will live 
a life somewhere between terror and amazement. Now, I, uh, I was given, when I uh, took kind of a crazy faith jump with uh, the, the couple of friends I was talking about earlier and uh, quit my job, I was given um, by some of my coworkers at Lazy Boy a, uh, a survival watch. And uh, if you haven't seen one of these, it's actually, it's actually pretty cool, even for us city dwellers. And uh, it's, got, it's got like lots of feet of parachute cord, which, you know, I guess, you know, you, you might need if you were, you know, up on a rock mountain for some dumb reason. And uh, it's, uh, but if you're more like me and you have a cup of coffee in your hand and you're sitting by the fire with stones and a view of the lake, all right, that's all good. Then, uh, you know, it's got like this little fire starter. And, uh, you know, when it's, when it's uh, getting close to dinner time, there's, there's a whistle, you know, that you can blow. Not, not to call your wife, but to call your kids, right? Okay. And, uh, and, there's, and there's a handy-dandy little compass that's, that's on here as well. Now, when we're following Jesus, the survival watch that we've been given by Jesus actually doesn't have, you know, all these spinny things on the compass. It's got two points that are on that compass. And one of those is terror, and the other is amazement. And that, and that little thing is going to be somewhere. <laughs> that little thing. I sound like such an outdoor guy, don't I? <laughs> little thing in there. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to land somewhere between terror and amazement. And sometimes it just seems like it can't get closer to the terror, Right? But if we're going to follow Jesus and do what he really wants us to do, we don't want to miss out on the amazement that he has in mind for us. But oftentimes we allow our fear to keep us from really following Jesus and really doing what we believe that he's speaking to us to do. And because of that fear of, and the terror, it keeps us truly from the amazement that God has in mind. We're all learning what it is to follow Jesus. And it's, it's not for the wimps and the faint of heart, for sure. And that line is, as we're following, going to land somewhere between terror and amazement. When I'm following Jesus, I should never lose my childlike innocence, my childlike faith, or my childlike optimism. I must never hesitate to run to Jesus and to jump onto his lap. I will always be welcomed by him. I must always resist running after, becoming more self-reliant and sophisticated. I must intentionally seek to be little, not big. Childlike is the whole idea. So let's review. The entry to and standard of the kingdom, according to Jesus, is to be childlike follow Jesus with that kind of innocence and optimism and running into his lap. To follow Jesus and truly rely on him for all. Because we recognize that we're not following alone. But the one that we follow is actually the most childlike of them all. Of anyone that has ever lived, Jesus sets the standard of what it means to rely on his heavenly Father for everything, every day. Direction, protection, and provision. 
so that we can follow Jesus with the simplicity, love that song this morning, with the simplicity of a fifth grader and run after him even when it gets scary because we know that just around the bend, that was kind of our family joke as we were hiking, was how long, Dad, how much longer? It's just around the bend. I'm speaking this morning as one that's trying to live this out on a daily basis, along with my willing accomplice, mostly willing accomplice, Stacy. We're learning, but it is hard. It's really, really hard. But stay tuned, because the best is yet to come, right? The best is yet to come. I leave you this morning with a final question. coming up on the screen. How do we know if our faith, we could insert the word childlike faith, how do we know if our childlike faith and corresponding actions represent intentional belief or irresponsible behavior? Intentional belief in Jesus, trust and reliance in Jesus, or irresponsible behavior? How do we know if we're not just taking a running leap off of the top of the temple, as was in the story, saying, God, catch me, because I'm jumping. How do we know if we're like Peter and we're in the midst of the storm and the waves are crashing? How do we know whether or not to get out of the boat? Because the other 11, we're looking at Peter going, what in the world are you doing? I mean, what would possess Peter to even think this way. But here comes the difference. The difference according to Peter, and it's Peter, not Peter Pan, by the way, is this. Lord, bid me come. There may come a time in your life where the Lord asks you to do something a little crazy, something that people around you might think is foolish. But as the Lord is leading you in love, to reach out, to touch, to do something that he has in mind for you to do, you and I simply respond to Jesus in a simple childlike faith saying, I will follow. Even when I don't understand, even when I'd write the script a different way, I will simply follow. That's the difference. That's how we know we can jump. That's how we know we can get out of the boat. When we hear the words of our master, Because Jesus still invites us to have faith like a child. He still invites us to himself. And so in the coming year, let's respond. Let's respond. Would you stand with me? He still asks us, invites us to have faith like a child, and he still invites us to follow. So let's ask him this morning, on this first morning of the new year, let's ask for help. Jesus, help.